Yeah. Logan's got my back. <laughs> well, after a short hiatus, it's great to be back in the book of Philippians. I pray that many of you were encouraged and strengthened over the last several weeks. Three weeks ago in our, our baby dedication or our parental dedication, and in some respects, uh, wow, uh, I, I had this thought like, man, it sure would be nice to have children behind me all the time because everybody's just smiling. And I would make, they definitely would be, the, nobody would fall asleep on me as I'm preaching. <laughs> but what a joy it was to be with those families. And, um, and then obviously the last two weeks, examining the power of the Spirit and how God is working through His Spirit in believers today. But it is awesome to be back and for us to finish also our exposition of the book of Philippians. We only have one more message after today in this epistle. It's been a joy uh, and a blast, and I'm excited to bring this home. And then several weeks ago, you might recall, we left off in chapter 4, verse 9. Throughout this chapter, we've seen a call for harmony and a charge to not be anxious. The practicality of this book is so refreshing in many respects. We mentioned in our first introductory message that the letter is in essence a sort of treatise, if you will, when it comes to successful Christian living. Our message for today, the practical application just continues to flow forth for us. That being said, when we think of this life, this precious life that we live, there's so much for us to enjoy on a regular basis. Great friendships, marriages, children, work. Recreation, just to name a few. However, at the same time, it's many of these things that we cherish and nourish that also bring great distress in our lives. What is it that allows man to be content in this world? What is the secret for contentment? Why is it that at times, even in our mountaintop experiences, that our hope, our contentment is grounded in our own self-sufficiency, as if it was all about us? It's almost as if we only live in the first half of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, which says that it's the heart of man that plans his steps, and then we stop there. And forget that it's the Lord that establishes them. It's almost as if our own diligence is all we need to overcome and be content. One internet article listed several suggestions for a content life. It stated, do what you love. Be grateful. Appreciate the small things. Serve others. 
Accept yourself. Be positive. And be your best friend. In and of themselves, these suggestions can be useful, can be helpful. Nevertheless, let us never forget that we can do nothing apart from Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why does a life solely focused upon oneself often lack ultimate contentment and fulfillment? And the reason lies in a, a life that reflects a roller coaster, if you will. And that roller coaster, of course, climbs to the top, but it also races to the bottom. The only difference is found in feelings of discouragement and despair compared to exhilaration and excitement in the valleys of life, if you will. In our passage this morning, we will see Paul begin a transition to the conclusion of this letter with thankfulness, all the while encouraging his friends in regards to how one might be content in life. In a world filled with slogans such as impossible is nothing, just do it. The only way is through. How do we protect ourselves in times of victory against false sense of pride and security? The false notion that we are the catalyst for our success. Moreover, when victory is replaced with pain and suffering, how are we to find contentment in this life? That's our question for today. Our internet article offered suggestions. Allow me to offer you a far better answer. Three solutions from the authoritative, inspired word of God in order that we might truly live a life of contentment. Would you stand with me, please? As we read God's word for us here today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him 
who strengthens me. You may be seated. Our first solution taken from verse 10 is simply we rejoice. From a natural perspective, we're all very familiar with repetition. Whether it's an educational environment, a workplace, athletics, or even life in general, repetition forces us to embrace an ease about the circumstances that we encounter. An understanding, a history of what is to come. Even when it comes to proper Bible interpretation, repetition is key for us to see the author's original meaning and intent for the original audience. From our introductory message and even throughout this study, we've seen that an attitude of joy or rejoicing is a key repetitive theme of Paul within this book of Philippians. Previously, we've seen it as a protection against pride. We've also seen it in our defense against anxiety. And now, we see Paul using it as a centerpiece when it comes to contentment. In addition, the message continues to flow forth with divine and authorial connection in Paul's use of this phrase, in the Lord. We've discussed this several times before. As a simple reminder, Paul uses this phrase quite often with words such as trusting in the Lord, hoping in the Lord, receiving Epaphroditus in the Lord, standing firm in the Lord, living in harmony in the Lord, and three times when it comes to rejoicing in the Lord, all to say that our pursuit of good works is ultimately grounded in His strength and His energy, as we saw in Philippians 2.13, as He works all things for His good pleasure. He even goes as far in this verse to use the adverb greatly. This could be literally translated as, I am intense, joyous in the Lord. So, how do we find joy and greatly rejoice? Intense, have intense joyous in life as a solution for contentment. Before we focus primarily on this word, concern for an answer, I do believe it's important to make a quick comment concerning Paul's attitude towards the church here. Some have misconstrued this verse, that Paul is communicating some type of frustration in the church's previous ability to help him. This is certainly not the case. Paul's deep love for this church is without question his acknowledgement of their lack of opportunity, which we see in the text, along with this word revived, sheds light. This word can also be used in relation to blossoming. 
It's as if their opportunity to help was like a flower waiting to blossom in the winter, unable to, or with a lack, without a lack of opportunity to do so. All the while still being there, waiting for the opportunity in the springtime to blossom. Paul was not frustrated, but sought to encourage and edify this church. Now, it's one thing to rejoice and be glad when we're on top of the mountain or on top of the roller coaster, as we alluded to earlier. Is Paul rejoicing here because, as the text states, that they revived their concern for him? Was he only able to rejoice because he had received some type of worldly provision? We'll see next week in verse 15 that he did, in some respect, receive some type of financial help in this matter. Now, that being said, this word concerned, how does it provide help and insight into Paul's motivation to rejoice and in turn help us to follow suit, to rejoice, to be content no matter what the circumstances may bring? This is another example of repetition. Paul uses this word eight times throughout the letter. The word carries a sense throughout of a strong feeling as it pertains to being united as one, in one mind, in one attitude. In that great attitude of Christ section of Philippians chapter 2, we hear its use of being of the same mind, intent on one purpose, having the same attitude. Or, in the beginning of chapter 4, Paul uses it to urge Euodia and Syntyche in their call to be harmonious, to be united as one. So, again, why, how does this help? Paul's desire to rejoice and to be content was not simply grounded in materialistic or temporary things of this world. But it was grounded and based, anchored in a people who he was deeply concerned for, that they might be one, united, intent on one purpose. If we base our ability to rejoice upon gifts, temporary abundance, or victory... We will inevitably experience the lack of ultimate fulfillment in the pleasures of this world. Does this mean that we don't experience loss and heartache and pain when it comes to people? Of course not. However, we were created from the beginning to be in fellowship with God and then fellowship with one another. When we practice tangible love and concern for others, we cannot help but rejoice together and experience more contentment in life. This theme concerning the fellowship of Christ 
we've seen throughout in this letter, continuing to surface time and time again. So, what about us? Do we desire to be more content? Of course we do. I know each and every one of us do. Would we be a people here at Miriam Christian Chapel who are examining ourselves in order that we might be more concerned with the body of Christ? A people seeking harmony with one another? What does that look like for us? Perhaps it even looks like what we will be considering in the fall for some of you as we unveil a new ministry called community groups, as we seek to build stronger bonds and unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ outside of the walls of this church, outside of only on Sunday. However it looks, an attitude of rejoicing will certainly produce contentment. It will flow forth from stronger relationships, intimate relationships within the body of Christ. Is that what we desire? That's what the Lord desires from us. That brings contentment. Our second solution is embrace the circumstance. Look again at verses 11 through 12. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul does not simply look here to the blessing and the provision that he has received from this church. But he speaks to any and whatever circumstances that he has experienced in life. A.W. Tozier said the following concerning the circumstances of life, and I quote, To the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. He travels in a pointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him, and misfortunes stalk his way. But these evils will be so in appearance only. And will seem evils only because we cannot read the secret scripts of God's hidden providence. Sweet, sweet quote. And desiring to keep the focus off of the gift, he communicates right from the onset to verse 11 that he did not need the gift. Paul was indeed thankful for the gift, but his primary concern was for the relationship amongst his people. Now, before we look at this word content, in verse 11, I don't want us to miss this phrase briefly in verse 12 that says, I have learned. 
The use of the personal pronoun I even conveys a greater sense of emphasis that Paul wants to communicate. I have learned. What is he actually saying here? It's as if he's saying, by way of multiple circumstances, I have mastered my lessons. We've all been there. Even in painful circumstances, how and why can we say that we've learned contentment if we are in Christ? We've seen, in hindsight, the hand of God working out His secret providence in our lives, transforming and molding us more into His image. Paul expresses very thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't need to turn there. In verses 23 through 29, when he alluded and spoke to the many afflictions that he suffered, beatings, imprisonments, hunger, and thirst, just to name a few. And yet he concludes that section in verse 30, and he says, if I have boast, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. He was able to embrace his circumstances because he could look back and see the hand of God. As Tozer said, that secret script of hidden providence. Now, of course, the challenge for us is how do we embrace the circumstances during the trial? The ultimate answer will lie within our final solution. However, Paul does begin to answer that question with this word, content. This word is only used one time in the New Testament, but it most certainly would have been understood by the Greek Hellenistic culture. The word conveys the idea of being self-supporting. Paul, being the learned man that he was, uses this term that the philosophers of his day would have certainly understood. In one of the works of Plato, the attitude is described as such. Man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and able, listen to this, by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. Socrates as well was described as a self-sufficient man who faced with resolution all the trials of life We'll see here shortly, verse 13, putting to rest any false sense of pride solely resting in a self-sufficient attitude. However, I don't believe that Paul intended to negate all of the philosophical meaning behind this word it's as if he's bringing a more complete meaning 
to the secular term. Verse 13 will be the completion of this emphasis based upon a Christian worldview. And that being said, I do believe he intends to challenge them in regards to their human responsibility. That they might strive with fortitude and resolution, mastering the lessons that God has providentially brought within their lives. We saw this in our first solution. An attitude of rejoicing through a resolute commitment towards relationships will certainly be one way of finding contentment in life. So we briefly looked at verse 12 in regards to this phrase, I have learned. Let's continue to look at verse 12 regarding the embracing of circumstances. Within this verse, Paul uses four verbs that all connect and repeat the emphasis of any and every circumstance. He says, getting along by humble means versus prosperity. Or being filled versus going hungry. Along with this repeated emphasis, there's another vital element for us not to pass over. It's a grammatical element found within the Greek language, but it brings tremendous application for us here. In his use of getting along with humble means versus being filled, both of these verbs are used in what is called the passive voice. How is that helpful for us? Why does this help us in our battle for contentment? We've mentioned this before. But the passive voice indicates that the subject receives the action. Why is that important? External circumstances, whether it's being filled or whether it's being hungry, are completely out of our control. The subject receives the action. With that said, let me repeat that Tozier quote again. As you think about how we can embrace circumstances that are out of our control, Tozer says, to the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. He travels in a pointed way. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him. And misfortune stalks his way. But these evils will only be so in appearance. And will seem evils only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence. Take for another example found in Isaiah chapter 10. As God used the sinful actions of the Assyrians to bring divine judgment upon his wayward people. Difficult circumstances indeed. A wicked and brutal people 
that were intent to do nothing but wipe out the nation of Israel. However, it was that hidden providence that we see in the end of Isaiah chapter 10 where God brings forth his faithful remnant and followers of Yahweh. We saw in Philippians chapter 1 verse 18 that Paul was able to rejoice in the fact that even through the sinful actions of man, the gospel was proclaimed. That being said, when faced with any and every circumstance, we can embrace those circumstances. Resting in the reality that God's hidden providence is sanctifying us more into his image. One other point in this verse I want us to touch upon before moving to our ultimate solution for contentment. Paul says that he has learned the secret of contentment. He says that it is in that secret that an initiation, if you will, might take place. And let me explain. Even on this Memorial Day weekend, for my friends, and I know there are some out here today that have served in the armed forces, perhaps you remember your boot camp days. I never had the honor of serving in that capacity. But I've heard many stories when it comes to acts of initiation. An initiation is meant to teach new soldiers the significance of their commitment and the responsibility that is to come. Even if we've not experienced this from a military perspective, I would venture to guess that many of us understand, in general terms, initiations. This word secret would have been understood in that very way. It was used of a Greek, in many cases, concerning Greek mystery religions as a sort of initiation. And as we consider our circumstances and our ability to embrace them can we accept that these circumstances are part of God's sanctifying initiation in our life that he might shape and mold us that we might be driven towards holiness that without which no one will see the Lord. That we might recognize and learn, master contentment. Or better yet, our ultimate need for contentment found in verse 13. Contentment is not the absence of pain and suffering and loss. Contentment is not only found 
only when we live in abundance and prosperity as the world directs us to just do it. Be your best friend, as the internet article suggested. Lasting contentment will only be found when we find our strength in Christ as our self-sufficiency. Herein lies the connection to our third and final solution. And that is affirm your strength. Look again at this great verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As many of you are aware, this, this verse is often used out of context. In many respects, it's actually used more from a determinative human will perspective. In order to establish some type of philosophical, like we referenced previously, or stoic self-sufficiency, that I can do all things in my might. Athletes, unfortunately, are often common abusers of this verse. It's as if one's ability to win the game is only anchored in this statement that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, of course, if we follow this to its logical conclusion, we don't have to think too far to see the issues with reading into the text of Scripture the meaning rather than pulling out of Scripture the meaning. No matter how hard or resolute I believe that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, I'll never dunk a basketball. Some of you out there can that's unless you want to provide for me a trampoline. The context that we examined allows us to see the meaning out of the text. Our affirmation of strength is connected to our ability to find contentment in whatever circumstances God's hidden providence may bring. This paragraph is about finding contentment. Not some self-sufficiency that I can win the Super Bowl. And that being said, there's a specific reason why I've chosen the title for this solution. Affirm your strength. Even in this ultimate solution, Paul continues to marry these two beautiful truths of the absolute divine sovereignty of God and human responsibility. He begins the verse with, I can do all things. Now, I've already spent significant time on this idea of a personal, resolute, self-sufficient commitment to pursue contentment 
our human responsibility. I don't want to beleaguer the point, only to say, let us never neglect it. To strive to know more of Christ and his word with all of our heart and soul and strength. Nevertheless, there's not a single one of us here today that can affirm that your strength is enough. That's if we're honest concerning our daily struggle with sin. No amount of personal commitment or extreme dedication will ever be enough in and of ourselves. If our life is filled with abundance, and at times that is the case, then the constant pull for more will be an incessant desire that is never fulfilled. Listen to Psalm 49, verses 10 through 12. Strikes in the face of the self-sufficient stoic philosopher that could say, I can do all things even apart from Christ, I can be resolute enough in whatever circumstances may come my way. The psalmist says, for he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man, in his pomp, will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Hmm. Powerful indeed. Crushing to any type of self-sufficient attitude in and of ourselves. If our life is filled with hunger and suffering, then the soul of man will always struggle to find peace and contentment in and of himself. Listen to the despair and the lack of contentment that can afflict us all at times. Psalm 42, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? We're honest. We've all been there at times. Lacking contentment as our tears are our food day and night. However, the psalmist does not remain in his despair. He does not remain in his lack of commitment, contentment. He concludes the psalm in verse 11 with, 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Paul, in the same manner, concludes this great paragraph of edification with the ultimate affirmation of strength. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. And this word strengthen relates to causing someone to be able to do so. Be content. Sounds very reminiscent of our prayer of confidence that we looked at in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Does it not? And Paul said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I was just having this week a conversation with a dear friend of mine. A dear friend who has experienced much pain and much suffering. A dear friend who is not a believer in Christ. We spoke. By the grace of God, he opened the door on some of these specific truths, finding contentment in an attitude of rejoicing by way of deeper relationships, embracing circumstances as opportunities to grow as we learn how to be content, and of course a resolute commitment to be self-sufficient and to fight against discouragement while seeking this contentment. All that to say, without a relationship with Christ and a trust that only through him can we find this contentment, my dear friend will never find contentment. If there's anyone here this morning that perhaps even relates with my friend, I say to you, as your friend, turn to Christ for ultimate contentment. A contentment that through repentance of your sin and faith in Christ, our risen Lord, will bring the ultimate peace. Tomorrow is not promised for each and every one of us. We have no idea what circumstances await us. And one day, the circumstance of death awaits us. As for my dear believing friends here today, don't ever forget that circumstances Material possessions, they come 
and they go. Find your contentment in the ultimate sufficiency of Christ. He has given you, as we discussed the past previous two weeks, the power of the Spirit in order that you might see and hear His precious Word, that you might be sanctified, assured of your relationship with Him. He has given you strength in order that you might stand firm and find contentment in whatever circumstance may arise. Bow with me and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your precious, precious word. We cling to this word Help us, O oh God, to hide it deep down within the recesses of our soul that even if we are in abundance now, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your gifts of abundance, but we realize that it is only by the good gift of God that we have been given so. And Lord, if we are in despair here today, discouragement, Lord, fill us with your spirit in order that we might rejoice, in order that we might embrace our circumstances, in order that we might affirm our strength, which is solely in you. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Dig up our hearts here today, Lord. And help us to be a content people. Glorifying your name in all that we do. Announcing good news to dead sinners. Discipling the body of Christ. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We can say, it is well with my soul. In Jesus name. We pray.